0: Howdy there folks, and welcome to The Random Men, where two experts in nothing talk about everything. Western films and literature have romanticized the idea of the heart-pounding train heist, the stoic lawman, the no-nonsense saloon madam, and the reluctant gunslinger who has to strap on the irons one last time to protect a town and hopefully cleanse their soul. There's no mystery as to why that place and time still to this day captures the imagination of so many, and that is the topic of today. So pour yourself a sarsaparilla and kick back, because today, two random men discuss the Old West. I'm going to start off by apologizing for the sound of my voice. I lost it about... Four days ago, when it's just now starting to come back, so it's going to sound a little bit raspy today, so just bear with me, brother.
1: You got your gravel. I got a little gravel on <laughs> for today's episode, yeah. Which, hey, this is a good episode to have a little gravel, I guess. I uh, think so.
0: Might be a couple toots of whiskey I have to down while we're sitting here having a audio conversation while my voice is going out.
1: Well, the whole thing was today we were going to talk about the Old West. And I know that there's there's so many misconceptions about everything that really went on during the old west uh but for most of it there is a nugget of truth here and there um we didn't you know you you think about you know bandits and outlaws and uh the bars and the brothels and the oregon trail and you know all these different things that you think about the gunfights all these different things it's bigger than life um all of it i mean the stuff happened i mean there 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 is like i said some real truth to each one of these stories but Maybe not the way that everybody actually thinks that they happened. Uh, I I think it was a lot of, when it comes to film, they romanticize so much of the old West and what went on. And it's kind of blown into this, blown up into this new thing to where I say new, you know, Western has been around for a long time, but they painted a different light on what it really was to live in those days. Well, they have to make the story entertaining. True, And in order to do that,
0: you kind of have to embellish certain aspects of it, yeah. as, as with any story. I mean, even today, when you watch any film that's based on a true story, if you go and start looking up the facts that happened, probably about yeah. 30 to 40 percent of it is just made up for the film or the novel or. Yeah, or a, they, they the blow the it a little,
1: little more out of proportion than what really happened to make it into a better story. But, and I think that's a lot of what most Westerns really did they just kind of took
0: m- most people get their idea of yeah. what the old west was like
1: yeah yeah so i i think today we'll sit here and we'll kind of hit on uh some of the stuff that how it really happened um maybe some things people didn't really know that went on during it and actually you know shine some more light on the real things that really did go on you know, we we take it for
0: granted because of where we live but we do have a lot of overseas listeners and uh people mm-hmm. that don't live in the southwest mm-hmm. listening mm-hmm. so it might be a, a good listen yeah hopefully, well, hopefully oh hopefully, <laughs> hopefully oh, they're all episodes. good listen. <laughs> <laughs> but
1: yeah man my love for the western i always have it was since i was a little boy okay you i know. gotta i gotta stop you right there for just one second we're having this conversation but i have to point out i have never been a huge fan of western style movies you know the majority of people aren't i run across people
0: all the time that i'll start talking or make a tombstone reference or of uh, y- you know any other film like that and they just flies right over their head and they go you don't know what I'm talking about and I don't really watch westerns. Yeah. You never seen 310 to Yuma? <laughs> yeah.
1: You know. Yeah, so I'm I'm not huge into westerns. I've seen pretty much all the big ones um but yeah, there's eh, I I love the idea of all of it and of course as we've talked about m- many times on this show uh Anything historical, you know, of course I really get into and stuff. So this is, when it comes to the Old West, it's a big part of, I think, American culture. But even more so of Southern and Western culture because that's where it all happened. And I mean, growing up, we've been hit with it, you know... (laughs) Well, <laughs> Constantly, everything we do, it, it somehow you know, eventually goes back to the old, you know, the old west and the cowboys and the riding the horses and you know, doing that kind of stuff. If you th- think about it like
0: this, it, from, from my perspective anyway, the United States has not been around that long. <clears throat> Pardon me. In, in the grand scheme of things. So the western to us, as we've had it for the past hundred years uh, in, in media and film and books, that's our Camelot. That's our knights in shining armor. That's our chivalry. That's the stories we have to tell of bravery of people standing up. You, you know how many how many movies are take the Magnificent Seven? Mm-hmm. That is an adaptation of Seven Samurai, mm-hmm. where they just put gunslingers in, showing yeah. up the reluctant heroes to protect the town. You have things like the Shootist, where he's the reluctant gunslinger that's coming back for one last ride even though he's dying he's gonna do the right thing and protect the town so that's why I think it it hits so hard with Americans the western does and I mean I I know we had you know the spaghetti westerns that that were made too that was just to keep it on the cheap but um I think that's why it hits so hard is that's our knights in shining armor these characters these John Wayne characters are our Lancelot and King Arthur Mm -hmm. mm-hmm mm-hmm as far as you could sit down with a child and show them a movie and it's pretty easy concept. This is the mustache twirling villain. This is the hero. This is the damsel in distress. Um, watch how they overcome instead of sword fights at shootouts. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you can watch heroics on screen and acts of chivalry that you can aspire to live up to.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. Yeah. Okay. So we've already talked about now, Kind of the idea of why it's ingrained in us, uh mostly because of where we're at and everything, but I think everyone they can listen to anywhere you're at they have seen heard different tall tales, if you will, um different stories they've probably seen the westerns and stuff and and I remember being on a plane one time, and this has been oh about ten fifteen years ago, oh maybe yeah maybe even longer than that anyway. I was sitting next to a guy and he asked me, of course, I was, I was actually wearing slightly Western tile I think I had like a Pearl snap shoot, uh, shirt on, and maybe my boots. And he asked me, Hey, where are you from? And I said, Texas. And he was like, Oh, he goes, well, do you ride your horse every day? <laughs> every day. And I was like, Hmm. Okay, and so then, <laughs> here we go, stereotyping. Here we go. And it's like, no, I, I do not own a horse. I know how to ride a horse. I've been around. You check that box. Cattle, but um, no, I am not what you were thinking of as a quote-unquote cowboy. Like, no, that's, that's not me. I drive, at the time, I think I was driving a Buick. <laughs> like, no, no. But, that's, and this guy, I can't remember exactly where he was from. Uh, somewhere northern. But... He wasn't like being an asshole about it. He was just straight asking me because he, didn't he was know. intrigued. Yeah, I mean, he he genuinely didn't know. And uh, a lot of times, people they just kind of assume or they think because of stuff they've seen in movies and, and TV shows and stuff that that's kind of how it is. Even today, it's not too far reaching. Look at where
0: we live. When you drive down the interstate on any given day, there are people riding horses down oh, yeah. the side of oh, the yeah. interstate. There, yeah. you know, you don't walk into a single. A place of business without people in cowboy hats and boots. We live yeah. in a high rodeo and cowboy hub of the world. Yeah, very, that's, very so that's, that's very true. That's a good yeah. way to put it, I think. Uh, we are ingrained in that. We yeah. We, we, yeah. we we see that every day. We come across it. We have friends. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. So, getting into this, first off... Um,
0: Can I say one thing real quick?
1: Oh, yeah, i got to go give a shout out to Blaine. Because...
0: Oh, yeah. You... Our good, yeah, our good buddy, Blaine, me and him used to live together, and when we did in our early 20s, once a month, we would have John Wayne weekend, mm-hmm. and we would just drink beer and cook, and it would be nonstop John Wayne marathons. That's what made me think about today's episode. And so, yeah, give a shout out to the Midnight Prankster, hey, uh, Blaine Shank there, because no. really it was it was nice finding a like-minded individual that loved Westerns that much, no. and... Opened me up to a lot of cinema that I hadn't seen before.
1: Yeah. Well, well there you go. So, um, first off, when was the time of the Old
0: West? The Old West and the Wild West kind of merge. Old West would be considered around 1820s, 1830s when the migration was happening. Mm-hmm. And then the Wild West would be directly after the Civil War until 1900. Yeah. And they, they say up until nineteen twenty. Because a lot of it was still very uh, horse and cart up until the 1920s in a lot of Mm -hmm. America. But pretty much what we're thinking, Wild West, at the height, 1880s, 1890s. Yeah.
1: And like I said, of course, everybody, you say Wild West, and like I said, they're they're thinking, you know, you get your shootouts. Yeah, that's the first thing you think of, of course, you know, uh, bar fights and brothels and card games and... You know, uh, cowboys and Indians Saloon fighting. Uh, you know, like like I said, the, stagecoach. It's funny because the the whole Oregon Trail thing, you know, keeps coming up. But it's like actually that was even before the Wild West. Like that was yeah, it's eighteen thirties. Whenever they were doing Oregon. Western expansion, um, but all these things that come to most people's minds whenever you say, especially the Wild West, but really, it wasn't all that wild.
0: No, I mean, like the thought of Hell's Half Acre, Fort Worth comes mm-hmm. to mind,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and a lot of it being popularized now. People watching things like 1883, and Yellowstone,
1: mm-hmm. and Tombstone's a classic. Well, you got
0: Red Dead Redemption.
1: Oh yeah, a yeah. lot of people playing Red Dead Redemption, <laughs> and think you're just running around your horse shooting bandits all day. Yeah, yeah, not the case. Not exactly how things how
0: things went down. You still had the law. There were still marshals and sheriffs and. If, you know, the shootout at the OK Corral. Their boys were arrested, yeah, and had to stand trial and and convince the jury that that was a justified shooting. Mm-hmm. Which so
1: you couldn't just walk around blasting everybody who'd done you wrong. Little factoid on that, real quick. Um, everybody always talks about the shootout at the OK Corral. What a lot of people don't know is it didn't actually happen at the OK Corral. It yeah. happened in the on the back yeah, yeah, behind, behind it. it. Um. But it just doesn't sound as good to be... I think it was actually on... I think it was called Fremont Street. I think it was what it was. Yep, you're correct. Lasted about 30 seconds. Yeah, lasted 30 seconds. Now, yes, some people died. Some people were injured. You know, it was definitely an ordeal. But people always think about the shootout at the OK Corral. I was like, this happened for 30 seconds on the backside. And, yeah. I think it was three or four of the cowboys,
0: which was the gang. Mm-hmm. Not actual cowboys, mm-hmm. if you've never seen Tombstone. But the gang, cowboys um got killed in the shootout and the herbs were only wounded.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think it was 3 and 3. 3 wounded and 3 died. So there
0: know. is kind of where you get that spinning off of
1: myth and legend. Mhm. And you know, okay, I guess we'll go ahead and uh, go into some of the gunfire thing real quick while we're, you know, so you're talking about the OK Corral, um the first thing is for some reason people would think a cowboy is going to be someone that's going to eventually go in and have a shootout or, you know... Rootin' tootin'. Whatever. Like, no. No. You had... There's a huge difference between a cowboy and a gunfighter. Okay? Cowboy didn't want no shit. He just wanted to earn his money and go in there and have a drink. Yeah, he was the working guy that just, you know, would take care of the cattle, whatever, and then go and probably, you know, blow most of his money at the bar whenever he got back. But you did have your gunfighters. They weren't super... Prevalent? Common... Um, but you had them; they would be either bounty hunters or you know different stuff like that. But a lot of them, like with Doc Holliday,
0: he just had to learn. If you were a gambler, if you were mm-hmm. a saloon patron as your profession, you had to get good because there was going to come a time when you had to defend yourself. Whether mm-hmm. it was somebody mm-hmm. calling you a cheater, um, Trying to like take accusing money. you of this or that, yep. you looked at a girl, in, yeah. yeah, robbing you while you're walking out of the saloon. You had to learn to take care of yourself. That's where you got a lot of your gunslingers. Yeah. So people that just were ended up just being good and at could afford it. to practice
1: because you couldn't get ammunition to blow. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, firearms were not cheap back in those days. Uh, as a matter of fact, you think of you see these movies, shows, stuff like that, and you just think that every man, woman, and child's walking around, you strapped. know, strapped with a pistol or a shotgun or something like that. That wasn't the case. Like if you even owned a firearm. It was usually for hunting, hunting and defense against probably not so much defense against like somebody in a town causing crap, but more like maybe possibly bandits or, you know, a bear attack, a mountain lion attack, like, you know, different stuff like that. Like it wasn't meant for fighting another human being. I guess that's what it was. And pistols were Hmm. really not something that people didn't have. have. Yeah.
0: Didn't have a sidearm.
1: Yeah. And that was like a, a last resort type weapon. So the whole, yeah, having the shootouts at high noon and all that kind of stuff, like that, really not very common. I think it was Wild Bill that was kind of popularized the,
0: the shootout, meet me in the street here. Mm-hmm. So I think he had two of them. Yeah. Probably should have looked at it beforehand, but I believe if you, if you looked that up, it's Wild Bill Hickok that had to meet me at this place this time and we'll have a shootout. Yeah. Well, which he went on to do his shows and pop was a big reason the western bombastic shootout Mhm. The oh, motherfucker became what it was in in the eyes of normal Americans.
1: Yeah, because here when he started his whole show and of course a lot of it was, you know, all the horse riding and all the shooting and all the you know these different things, of course like like I said captured imaginations of anybody that would not watched it and just assumed, oh, this must be what it's like being in the Old West and, you know, traveling around from town to town and, and doing all this kind of stuff. So, no, that wasn't exactly how it happened. Um, Not to mention, pistols were not very accurate No, back in those days. Not like, at all. Uh, and like you said, ammo was not cheap by any means. Yeah, and don't. there was a lot of the firearms back in those days, especially the pistols that when you would fire it would either backfire or the gunpowder would shoot back at your hand and would like burn the crap out of you and so it was like i don't want to have to shoot unless i absolutely have to so you didn't have like i said all this stuff where you think about you know there's that what's that one there's some commercial that i saw not uh just the other day where it was like i don't remember what the commercial was for but it was the two cowboys sitting there and it's like meet you at high noon he's like oh no i'm busy how about you know at this time oh no i can't how about this i mean like, like there wasn't that many of those type of things happening it was if there was a issue and like i said a lot of times it would be because of a card game or somebody trying to trying to rob you um that's when these altercations would really come to head but for the most part the whole yeah idea of an actual gunfight that eh, was pretty rare
0: as you see them depicted in the movies and the saloons and, mm-hmm. and all that stuff. You mm-hmm. couldn't
1: carry, most, most towns didn't allow you to carry your weapons in. Believe it or not, most towns back in back in the old, in the wild west, had stricter gun laws than what we do even now. <laughs> yeah,
0: because people could get
1: batshit crazy. Yeah, it was like straight up like, nope, you cannot carry that gun in town. Speaking of saloons,
0: let's get into saloons for a minute. Okay. Did you know that by 1883, the town of Fort Worth, Texas had over 60 saloons in it? Wow. <laughs> and by 1890, Denver, Colorado mm-hmm. had 478 saloons. Jeez. Now, a lot of these saloons were not brick and mortar buildings. They were um, The first saloons were lean-tos and camp towns. Yeah. They were were set up. So to say saloon, you could use that term loosely from what you think of with swinging doors and the, the bedrooms upstairs and the bathhouses and all that.
1: But, Basically, yeah, I mean, the town... It'd be like I, me setting up a... a an easy up in an ice chest. I'm like, I'm a saloon. I'm a saloon. On <laughs> <laughs> the tailgate of your truck, <laughs> yeah. Keith's Saloon. Yeah, I got a pop
0: up tent in the back.
1: Yeah, yeah, okay.
0: <laughs> As Gus would say, you can go back there and get you a poke. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Lonesome Dove reference.
1: For you. Mm, I Bet it's not going to be the only one. Yeah. Um, uh, did,
0: but here's an interesting thing. Did you know swinging doors?
1: Yep. Has that ever crossed your mind? Why seen. You know, the swinging doors on the saloon. The gunfighter
0: comes in and (laughs) pushes the door open. It gives that (laughs) creak. Everybody (laughs) scoots back from the table. They know Black Bard's here to do some damage. Yeah. The purpose of those, they were actually multi-purpose. First was just ventilation. Everybody in there is smoking. Mm -hmm. There's people dipping, spitting all over the floors. These people hadn't washed in weeks. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine the the stink that was in that building with... Hardly any
1: windows, then so you, that then saloon, you start adding the booze going on, and yeah, everything. Oh know. yeah, probably oh. a couple of
0: people throwing up in there. Oh, so if you, needed, if you needed to toss somebody out the door, so yeah, ventilation. Well, tossing out the door comes in a second, but yeah, the ventilation it just allowed air to come in and out. Hmm. Think about the height of the swinging door. It's about eh, mid thigh up to about chest level, right? It's not a full frame door. Yeah. Because if you were getting off your horse and you had your shit that you wanted to keep on your person carrying through, you might have both hands full. So you could just walk through. That's why they were double hinged. Boop, oh. boop, boop.
1: Okay. Yeah, swing in one way, like swing in the other. Okay. They okay. were
0: light. they're Easy to replace. You didn't have to replace a whole door if something happened. So if you get an idiot drunk or something like that. Brings me to my third point. Okay. So drunks didn't try to walk in through the outdoor <laughs> and keep breaking doors, which, you know, just like how you have signs on, you know, that make everybody mad, uh, in certain businesses, where it's like, well, some idiot must have done that, is why they have this rule and regulation now. Safety this is meetings the
1: in, this is the out. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Apparently, drunks would like to try to walk. The the doors were pushed going in, which mm-hmm. had to pull them to go out. Well, they would be just drunk as hell and try to bust through the door and kept breaking doors off Least the hinges.
1: Kool Aid man, right through it. Yeah, just, absolutely. <laughs> yes,
0: and okay. the, they were open twenty four seven. Oh. So a lot of them had, yeah. almost like how storm shutters work on the outside of windows, they would have doors out there where they could shut them if some if reason was needed to lock up shop, but most of them never closed down. They mm. ran 24-7. People were coming into town constantly throughout the night, wanting to go get a drink before they bedded down. Never thought of it. No. Okay. So the okay. swinging door served
1: a multitude of purposes. Well, already then. Yeah, swinging doors is kind of one of those things that it's synonymous with Slump. the Old West. Yep, 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 exactly. <laughs> yep, yep. Did you know... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I
0: was going to say sticking on saloons. Yeah. I don't know, did you have a saloon yeah. thing?
1: Uh, something to kind of sort of... Go the ahead. I was going talk about
0: whiskey for a second. Okay, go ahead, go
1: ahead.
0: So the saloon owners would get their whiskeys from a couple of different places. Most of them would order them from uh, people out in California. Okay. And there was one of the notable companies that was uh, Jesse Moore Hunt and & Company. And uh, they were out of San Francisco. And they would allow you to choose the grade of whiskey that you would get. Anything from a C up to a double A. You
1: think double A was the best? Was the best, yes.
0: Okay. And the double A's were sold for $4 a gallon. Hmm. But like a C brand would only cost $3 a gallon. Now think about how much variation in a dollar. Yeah. doesn't seem a lot to us, but a whole dollar's worth of difference was a lot back then. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, and so some of the popular brands that they would sell would be like um, Old Crow or Old Kentucky. Um, there was one called Chicken Cock. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so next time you belly up to the bar, see if they got a shot of Chicken Cock for you. Hmm. Um, and Old Forester still around today. Really? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, when you see a lot of these brands at the store that they claim, you know, been around for 150 years, yeah, that's the company probably wasn't made the same there there's high regulations
1: and laws now but the brand is actually mm-hmm. 180 years old things like that oh well, yeah because i mean i know around the world uh i've always heard you know about different regulations stipulations on on different kind of stuff like i mean just like bourbon has to be an american made has to have x amount of
0: i think it's 51 percent corn
1: uh yeah different stuff like that uh you know different things can only be made in certain places if they are called a certain certain scotch has deal. to come from scotland um so yeah i i could see how more
0: champagne isn't that everything else sparkling wine yes champagne has to come from champagne is it france isn't france it? i believe i believe so They they would get into a lot of trouble buying off-brand stuff because most of what they were serving that wasn't straight up whiskey was just grain alcohol and they would color it with things like tobacco and they would put shit like cinnamon in there and all sorts of wild, wild crap. They would cut it with brown sugar and prune juice and even, like, glycerin. Ooh. Okay. And cayenne, just trying to give it that bite. But you had glycerin and uh, some shit, some acids they would put in there just to give it that burn. So you were getting oh. Oh, some oh. dangerous concoctions that oh. were made. Oh. Oh. And just to kind of give a cliff note in here that's what caused in or was the cause in 1897 for the bottle and bond act which can okay. buy any of your bourbons today you notice that it'll say bottled and bond on it right that was because the proprietors of the distilleries were having such a problem with this off-brand whiskey that they would cut with all this bullshit and put back in their bottles and sell it to patrons mm-hmm. they went to the u.s government and they filed the Bottled and Bond Act, which means that it's actually held to a standard by the U.S. government—that it was distilled in one place, bottled in one place, and that pop has never, that top has never been popped on it.
1: Hmm. Hmm. So yeah,
0: whenever you buy bottled and bond, it's government certified.
1: Well, yeah. what do you know?
0: Yep, and that all started in
1: 1897,
0: hmm. and then was later reinforced by
1: Theodore Roosevelt in the early 1900s. Huh. You know, I think we should actually say that um. Maybe a lot of the stuff that happened in the Wild West, you think Wild West and you think about a bunch of people just being wild and crazy and doing all this zany stuff. Actually, yeah, there really was a whole lot more structure and uh, actually a lot of thought going into a lot of different things. They had
0: imported whiskeys.
1: Really? Yes, sir.
0: The most famous ones would be like Dewar's Scotch, Canadian Club, and a personal favorite of ours, Jameson. Well, what do you know? Was very popular in the saloons in the Wild West. Next time you take you a snoot of Jameson, you know, click your spurs together because you got a little bit of. It wild makes west me in
1: you. It makes me wonder that uh, that scene in Back to the Future Three when he sits <laughs> there and he's he's been standing there all day with a shot and he's like, the bartender says something to him about like he hadn't he hadn't taken his first drink yet or whatever. I wonder what he was drinking during that
0: scene. <laughs> you know, like I
1: wonder if it was like a Jameson or something like that. But
0: yeah, it's so fun to know they had imported whiskey. So, cool! as wild as he thought it was, you could
1: get your imports. Hmm.
0: Now, another th- thing that the saloon started doing was offering services to people like free lunch to get more patrons in.
1: Okay. Well, especially if if they were having to where you had all these uh different saloons popping up in the same town, mm-hmm. you kind of had to get to this point where it's like, oh, how am I going to attract more and more customers? So, a free lunch? Heck yeah, dude. I mean, that... There's a lot of things i do for a free yeah, lunch. Be, well, I can go in here and get a free
0: lunch before I start drinking. And they would serve things like pickled eggs, pickled herring, sardines and olives, roast beef, very salty things that what does that make you do? Drink. Gets you more thirsty. Mm-hmm. So right, there's peanuts and uh, mm. pretzels on the bar. There you go. At yeah. bars even now. Well, not since COVID, but there used to be pretzels and peanuts on bars. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. No. Back in the day. Always that jar of pickled eggs there. <laughs> Yeah, that was things that saloon owners were thinking to go heads and tails above their competitors to get people in the door. Free lunch. And another little fun fact. The name saloon Mm -hmm. came from the French word salon, which meant a gathering place.
1: So is that kind of like nowadays we have salons and it's typically like a hair place or something?
0: I think anything that was a gathering place for people that had different services provided would have been considered a salon.
1: Huh. So there you go. Put that one. A lot in your of back stuff pocket. that you just uh, thrown at me that I did not know. Wow. Speaking about uh, with the saloons, of course a lot of people also when they think of a saloon, they think of of course people drinking, but they also think of playing cards. Poker. Ah, uh, gambling. 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 Now Gamblin what a lot of people don't know is there was a big part of that that it wasn't just any random person could sit down at a table, especially in like the higher in tables, saloons, where they took things really serious, it was actually viewed as, like, a... It was almost viewed as, like, a sporting event. Like, you had to be really good to sit down at certain tables. You had to be somebody to get invited to the game. Yeah. You
0: couldn't just be any Tom, Dick, and Harry off the street to sit down. Exactly. Correct. So,
1: there was a lot of times that they would be having these games, tournaments, I guess you'd say, where people would know you because of how good at playing cards you were oh yeah they were the rock stars of their time exactly and so you could only get into some of these if you were established enough now of course yes you always had that one guy that eventually would you know lose his crap and say that somebody was cheating him or you know call the dealer dirty, saying saying that he's dirty and, and those kind of things but like it was really like held as a pretty high high gaming thing just as be sitting there playing Booker There's a prestigious seat yeah. in the town. I was like, oh, he's he's a badass gambler. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, we think about again. Tombstone comes you comes got to two. mind, or the gambler. You know, <laughs> come to mind. You think about it. It's like again, one hey, of those. Me. There's a place where like that that came from somewhere. Like that that's legit. Like uh, there was <laughs> a big part of it that you, being a good card player, established you as like you said a rock star. In the community.
0: Maybe cards isn't your game, Ike. I know. (laughs) Let's have a spelling contest.
1: (laughs) Also, along with the same thing with with the saloons and gambling, stuff like that, of course, the brothels. Ah, working girls, ladies of the night. And what a lot of people don't realize is that the girls were some of the highest earning people in town because... That was a service that these towns offered, especially to the guys that had been on the trail. You know, they've been herding cattle, they've been doing whatever. And so they were not only well-paid, they were very well taken care of, accommodated, uh, their living, their lifestyle, all that kind of stuff was higher than what most people were living at. Uh, Typically, the lady that was in charge of the brothel ended up being actually one of the most intelligent people in town a lot of times. Because... was a major business this, owner. Yeah. I mean, she knew how to run a business, and she took care of her girls, and she knew what the customer needed, and, I mean, very intelligent, and uh, typically would ha- hold themselves to a higher standard than any regular person. So, you know, another one of those big things that you see when you think about uh, the Old West type stuff. But, I mean, yeah, there was a whole... That, like, that was this whole... Own world in its in itself.
0: I had read somewhere that because of the red lights they would put in the windows to announce oh. that prostitution was available is where you get the term red light district
1: from. Yes, and yes. that all started Correct. in saloons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, I had heard that too. Yeah, so and there you go. Little terms we use today. Yeah, something that's still prevalent. Yeah, while we're talking about stuff in in the towns, in the towns, um, you see the movies and the TV shows and stuff, and you always think about. The bank robberies. Oh, yeah. The big, oh, they're going to go rob the bank, and they're going to use their couple sticks of dynamite, and they're going to blow up the wall, and, you know, that whole thing, you know? This is a stick-up. Yeah. So, that didn't really happen very often. That was... they uh, Few and far between? One thing I looked up said that during, like, the whole Wild West era, there was only about a dozen bank robberies. To put that in perspective... There are more bank robberies or attempted robberies a year nowadays than what would, would have happened during the Wild West period.
0: Well, I'm going to chalk that up to there's more people walking around strapped. Maybe back then, even though that's kind of contradictory to what we just said, law would just mow you down. Didn't well, think second
1: thought about it. First off, uh, the buildings were built very securely. They were some of the only brick and mortar buildings in town a lot of times uh, or were still built very safe. Uh and a lot of times the sheriff's building would be right next to the bank. Oh yeah. <laughs> that would kind of dissuade some people from like, oh the sheriff's right next door. Also, in those times, if you had a building and you had a business inside that The getaway driver has a shit time trying to get away. <laughs> if you had a if you had a, a business owned a building, um and you had your business. Typically, you lived upstairs from it, or even in the same, mm-hmm. in you know, in the same room uh, as wherever your business was. So, someone that owned a bank would be living in the bank or upstairs. And so, as soon as there was any kind of issue, guess what? He's going to meet you at the door with a shotgun.
0: Yeah, he's probably got bank robbery on the mind
1: twenty four seven. Yeah, like I'm just waiting for these guys to come. Like, yeah, let's let's do this. You I'm know, have money thing. and gold in here, I might need to kind of be edgy. Yeah. And the the flip side of that, though, is you had these bank robberies that did happen, that did go down. Well, of course, they blew up into these huge, huge things because somebody actually robbed a bank and and did it. So it kind of turned into this. Mythos, yeah. I mean, like, again, like you said, the rock star deal, like, oh, they robbed a bank, like, got they away. got away with it, you know. Jess James. Um, now that's not to say that there wasn't quite a bit of them robbing stagecoaches. Oh, yeah, stagecoaches that was way easier. <laughs> yeah, you just stop them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot that stagecoach isn't going to be able to get away from a couple of guys on straight up on horseback. Like, no, no, they got it so. Robbing the banks wasn't that big of a deal. Kind of tapping into that. Do you know why they're called stage coaches? Mm, no. It's
0: it's a simple answer, but it's because they moved in stages. And I didn't know this. As many movies as I've seen and 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 things that I've read. Moved in stages. They moved in stages. How so? How so? So when they would plot out their course, usually the company that would hire out the stagecoach would build or lease out higher houses and stuff in between okay and these were the stages of the trip oh and they were called swing and home stations the swing stations usually were set up about every 12 miles and the home stations were set up at 50 miles okay so if any shit went down you only had a couple of miles you had to try to outrun whoever was
1: on your tail
0: to get to your swing station where they were set up to be there'd be like some like Police. Well, but yeah, they knew their- they were they were waiting to receive you. Yeah. So there would be help there. Hmm. And that's where okay. usually you could either uh, trade out horses if if one was kind of lacking, you could um not really get a meal, but kind of take a little break. Everybody could get out, stretch their feet. You could address if wheels needed repair and stuff like that. And then the home stations was where you could like camp out for the night, get food, mm-hmm. lodging, mm-hmm. rest. It was a home station. It was like a, a hotel, but just for the stagecoach. Yeah, usually yeah. bigger houses or places they had built small forts, things like huh. that. Dude, no, I've never heard
1: any. Of I had That's, never heard any of that, wow. and I was like,
0: "So, That's yeah, cool. really? Yeah, I mean, it took huh. you know, it took a hell of a long time to get twelve miles.
1: Oh, well, by well, horse and cart, but still. it's a lot
0: better than we've got. No, it's two hundred miles to the next fort. Yeah,
1: <laughs> did not know that. Did not know that.
0: Yeah, and. I knew you had something to talk kind of about Pony Express, hmm. but the stagecoaches ended up just slaughtering the Pony Express because their system of travel was safer. They mm-hmm. could hold more cargo.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: that was the main means of transporting goods up until 1869 when they built the Transcontinental Railroad. Huh. And then they were still using stagecoaches to transport people and goods. And it was the main means of transport up until 1900 with the introduction of the automobile. Hmm. So even though they had the railroad per like if you wanted to hire something to be transported or someone to take your family somewhere, you would still do it by stagecoach in 1880, say rather than putting them on a train. If it made sense, hmm. there wasn't a railway leading there up until the automobile took over.
1: Yeah. Uh, so 122 years ago. Hmm. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, real quick back to the, the pony express thing. Uh, everybody's heard of it. Maybe they've romanticized it or, or done whatever. But like Kevin Costner sure did totally the, funny. yeah, the Pony Express. Like it wasn't even a a success. Like it didn't work. Uh, it lasted less than <laughs> two years. Um, before they were like, this is we can't do this and we're still talking about it today like yeah he just had some saddlebags and shit how much did he yeah. carry i mean they're sitting there like the, the riders would have to switch out horses you know after so many miles because the horse especially running full speed or even a oh, good gallop they had a they, time limit yeah they can't go forever i mean a horse is not a train or you know mm-hmm. um so they have to switch out horses and then have to switch out riders and it just became like a logistical nightmare and it just yeah and so then like i said when you had stage coaches and then of course trains and stuff like that yeah it just came became just totally impractical to do it and of course you know we keep talking about all this stuff with the old west and all all this a lot of people don't realize when this was going on that is when all the railroad stuff was really getting going picking up steam oh Oh, dung um, yes, that, that like I mean the whole time during this you had the railroads that were coming in and they were you know laying down track and they were doing all this stuff so it was already like uh, it was going to be kind of a moot. Yeah, your stuff's going to go out the window anytime now. As soon as you get your railroad, in yeah. town.
0: <laughs> as soon as railroad comes, Pony yeah. Express guys
1: are out of a job. Yeah. So speaking of horses, did you ever hear of the Camel Corp? I have, <laughs> I have, and this is one thing that. I think a lot of people do not know about the Old West, uh, Southern, you know, America. This to me is is such a crazy <laughs> story, and it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. It's not. It's not like it doesn't make sense. But anyway, I'll let you go ahead and start. Yeah. So, in
0: 1856 at Camp Verde, Texas, there was an army major by the name of a George H. Crossman. And he made a suggestion that because of the arid southwest was a lot like Egypt, Mm -hmm. that why wouldn't the army import camels to be their main means of transport Mm -hmm. instead of horses? The reason being, they needed less water. They were more used to traveling in desert environment. Very hardy animal. Yeah. Very hardy animal. Yeah. And so they signed off on it.
1: Yeah. And so they ended up bringing over... In
0: 1855... They commissioned 66 camels to be imported from Egypt. Yeah. And
1: used them in the south. Into south Texas.
0: Mm-hmm. And a lot of the officers were very supportive of this and said that it was a total success. One of those officers that was in charge of bringing in the camels was Robert E. Lee. Hmm.
1: He ends up being a big character he later. He ends up being a major player <laughs> later on. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and it was reported that the camels could do the work
1: of two horses in half the time. Yeah, because I think a lot of people don't realize, like, the like, guess the limitations of a horse. Uh, I mean, a horse is a great, oh, horse, anyway, fantastic, yeah, but they can't go forever, man. No, like, like I said and earlier, camels they... could just go further, longer, longer, with less. Like I said, less water, less
0: maintenance yeah. on them. Yep. Yeah, yeah, um, they were used to desert environments. Mm-hmm, horses mm-hmm. were more built for the plains. Yeah, yeah. There was, oh, 25 of those camels made the trip from South Texas to California. Wow. Wow. Yep. And the only reason that it didn't... I know some
1: people's vehicles. I can't make that (laughs) down.
0: Most. (laughs) And the only reason that it didn't explode was because of a little thing called the Civil War. Oh, yeah. That happened right at the time that they were trying to implement this into the U.S. Army. So that was the only reason they just kind of throw it by the wayside. Everybody, including that Lee guy yeah Okay. got pulled into the Civil War and they just forgot
1: about the experiment, yeah, and I think there were still sightings of camels the supposed last sighting of a camel a wild in texas, camel of a wild camel in texas nineteen forty one they made it like they made it a ways that I mean you're talking you know our our grandparents' day. Like there was still camels you wandering around.
0: You're you're taking the family out for a nice picnic, it all of a sudden you just see a camel on the horizon and you're like Hmm.
1: <laughs> it's funny to think though Look at that, if, an oasis. If not for the time of the Civil War or if anybody would have picked back up, you know, uh the the project uh after it. We literally could yes, have totally have camels all throughout Texas. You so, going
0: back to your friend that was uh, asking you if you rode your horse to work every day, he'd be like, hey, man, how many
1: camels you got? How yeah, many how many camels do you own? Yeah, You own a camel farm? <laughs> but God. didn't they say the camels, the only downside was, like, they were way harder to Very control? Very aggressive,
0: yeah, and wouldn't, uh, they didn't obey, like, a horse. Horses more docile, a little bit more, I don't want to say loyal, that sounds dumb, but, like, they're easier to control. Train to train, yes. yeah, yeah. yeah, The the camels were didn't like to listen to orders or obey commands. They would just kind of go off, half cocked, and spit and kick.
1: Yeah. Um, you hit something (laughs) that I just thought of. Uh, the relationship between the the whole idea of the relationship with the cowboy and his horse. You know, made it made it out to be like this huge thing where silver trigger yeah, yeah all those man tonic and in the come together and then they do this whatever a lot of that's bullshit now don't get me wrong i'm sure just like you know any animal that you might bond with that you might bond with yeah you're gonna have you know your favorites and you're gonna have ones that like you better <laughs> than others or whatever but being out there and like driving cattle One horse wasn't going to last all day.
0: So they had to switch horses. They had
1: to switch horses out. So typically, when they would go to drive cattle, they would bring along with them an entire... And there's a term. I wish I could remember what it's called. Someone's going to yell at me for not remembering this. But uh, there's a term. They called it, like, this is the group of the horses that we brought along as, you know, reserves. uh, Backup. uh, You know, whatever you want to call it. And so typically, in the day of a cowboy, he would actually ride two different horses. Because at some point they'd have to give the other one a break mm-hmm. and so that cowboy would then switch out into you know onto another horse and do whatever well most of them didn't have just a huge preference because a lot of them were cowboys that were hired on for that group so for they got trip. handed a so they just were handed a horse like hey here's, you know here's this one and so there really wasn't this huge
0: favoritism and things like, yeah, like yeah, this is this is my is horses
1: and, you know my buddy this is my whatever like no they just looked at it like this is it's a tool yeah yeah basically and they would use this one in the morning then they'd switch into another one in the afternoon the next day they might ride a totally different one
0: i mean it makes sense yeah i mean you know as far as you're going
1: it it sounds great to be like yeah me and trigger you know yeah are riding the range and, and, this and my buddy's gonna take care but, of me eh, No, that really wasn't practical not exactly how things worked out so
0: I love in reading and this has not much to do with anything that we're talking about but that those horses were like dogs and they could remember their way home so when you get drunk leaving the saloon you could just if you could get on your horse yeah he would take you home <laughs> now to me my friend across the table that is a buddy yeah, <laughs> that, is a that, that is a good horse
1: that is a good horse it will take you back to the camp yeah just might drop your to, ass off boom there you go man to, yeah take care of him a little a little better because he took me home <laughs> You get special treatment. Did you get me home trigger? Yeah, sure did. Dude, awesome dude, my dude, you know, awesome dude. Love you, bye. <laughs> well, I,
0: I think this is probably a good time for us to do the thing, man. Let's do it. All right. It's time for search engine, engine. results. For those of you just joining us, this is a little segment. We like to call search engine results. What I do is ask the all powerful internet a question and I get the answer. I then present Keith with three options to choose from. And he has to try to guess the right answer that was given to me by the never incorrect internet. (laughs) (laughs) Keith, are you ready to play the game? Yes, sir. All right. With today's theme, coming off of us talking about stagecoaches earlier, here's a little fun one I learned. Okay. What was the average cost to purchase a Wells Fargo or the average stagecoach? In the 1850s. (laughs)
1: Jeez Louise, man. (laughs)
0: Let me rephrase that. What was the average cost of a stagecoach in the Old West? I don't even. This
1: is more kind of centered towards the 1850s. I don't even fully understand currency of that time. Like, ah, oh, okay, I'll give it. I'll give it my best shot. In part two of
0: this episode, we probably need to break down what a dollar was then versus a dollar now. Maybe the exchange rate,
1: especially if I'm like totally way we'll, off. On we'll this.
0: start off part two to this episode with the exchange rate of a dollar, so it okay. kind of puts it in terms we can understand.
1: Okay, okay. But I'll give it a shot.
0: All right, just you're just pissing in the wind, man. Eh, eh. I don't happens.
1: win anything or lose anything, so <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so what do
0: you what what do you think the average cost was for a stagecoach in the 1850s? A, $500. Okay. That's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. B, $900. Gee. Or C, $1,200. Ooh. Whale? Well,
1: okay. Think about all the fine craftsmanship that went into one. Well, what I was actually thinking of was, like, if you just have a horse, and I'm traveling by horse... I can only carry X amount of stuff, like so much as much as this horse can possibly I'm carry.
0: The math around your head, <laughs> there, you know, if Doing train one those... leaves with yeah. eight apples from <laughs> Freeport, <laughs> Texas to
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> traveling at sixty. So like do cost do versus, do yeah. is the juice worth the squeeze on this thing? Yeah, so I'm thinking that, especially in these times, like a stagecoach. I mean, that's. If you owned one, that that was a, a high end item for sure. Uh, that was your business on wheels. Yeah. I mean so many so many possibilities. So definitely definitely something that not everybody could afford, but if you could, man, like that was a, a life changer. Like that was a you know it was a money making machine. Huh. Okay. So you said say it again five, nine and twelve hundred. 500, 900, 900. 12. Well, because of what it was, and like I said, how much it could be a a life-changing item to own, I think I'm going to go 900. It's a fair answer. I'm going to shoot it middle of the
0: road. Okay. The average cost for a Wells Fargo stagecoach, as reported from the mid 1850s to the 1860s, was twelve hundred dollars.
1: Damn!
0: Wow! Right? That's shocking when you think what a dollar uh, was back then.
1: Yeah, the only ones they could afford it was the the bankers, the doctors, and the prostitutes. <laughs> Jesus! Yes, so just to so, charter it, wow. yeah, charter it like it's a boat, shit.
0: Well, I mean, kind of was. Pay your fare.
1: I mean, no. no, no. Yeah. Wow.
0: $1,200. That's why mm. it was such a big deal when one of them got... You didn't just lose the cargo to a bandit or a robber or a gang. You lost... You lost $1,200. T- to put it in perspective, in today's money, mm-hmm. that's $29,000. That's a car. Yeah,
1: so, yeah, basically, somebody's stealing your car. Yeah. Somebody's stealing your I mean, car. literally is what it is. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I kind of... Well... Put things in a different
1: perspective for me when I read that. Yeah. Yeah, and that's, like I said, I'm kind of thinking, like, Gum. like, again, who who could actually afford uh, That's why you almost had, that had to days.
0: be a corporation or something to have it, to yeah. be dropping. I mean, they didn't have one. Yeah. They had true. a bunch.
1: True. Wow. And a
0: 1200 mm. a pop. Okay, then. Well, they ended up hiring the Pinkertons, which we will also get into in the two-parter of this episode. I want to talk about Pinkertons a little bit
1: later. Yeah. Um... I think we've got a bunch of stuff that we want to go into, so this will definitely be a, a two-parter. There's a lot of stuff about uh, different outlaws uh, that are things people don't know about that, to me, are funny. Like, there, there's some really goofy stuff that some of the outlaws did back in in those days that I want to bring up in the next episode. So, mm-hmm. give everybody kind of a an idea where we're going to go on the next one. But to go ahead and finish this one out... How about we do a little back and forth with uh, some cowboy wisdom? Maybe some funny quotes? Cowboy stuff? I'm your huckleberry. <laughs> yeah. We all got pieces of craziness. Some bigger pieces than others. <laughs> it's better to keep your mouth shut and look stupid than to open it and prove it. Mm, that's one that... ah uh, Yeah. <laughs> uh, when you're throwing your weight around, be ready to have it thrown around by somebody else hmm wise
0: there's two theories to arguing with a woman neither one works
1: (laughs) the only good reason to ride a bull is to meet a nurse (laughs) if you find yourself in a
0: hole the first thing to do is stop digging always drink upstream from the herd (laughs) (laughs) that's yellow snow right there man
1: Letting the cat out of the bag is a whole lot easier than putting it back in. Any cowboy can carry a tune. The trouble comes when he tries to unload it. Mmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Just because trouble comes a-knocking doesn't mean you have to give it a place to sit down.
1: Mmm. If it doesn't seem worth the effort, it probably isn't.
0: Don't squat with your spurs on.
1: Oh, everybody. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's been a long-running one. We, oh, we taught yeah.
0: Clark a long time ago how
1: to... Take a cowgirl pee. Yeah, that's a uh, yeah, you Never ask a barber if you need a haircut.
0: <laughs> oh, man. That
1: is a general life rule. Like, like duh. Like, Confucius say. Yeah, like, yeah. Because, of course, they're going to be like, well, yeah, yeah. So, hmm, that's a good one.
0: Oh Man. Yeah. It's like never ask a salesman. <laughs> Don't let your yearnings get ahead of your earnings.
1: mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Never corner something meaner than you. Oh, I love that one. Oh yeah. I've Living. used that one I live and one. die by that. Yep. <laughs>
0: Don't dig for water under an outhouse. Ooh.
1: If you're gonna speak your mind, make sure you got a fast horse.
0: hmm. Talking shit. Yep. 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 Oh. Situational. And I'm talking like not physically, but into an argument. Don't go in if you
1: don't know the way out. Ah, yes. Shoot. Yeah. Yeah. Well, all right then. I think with that, it's time to go and call this one an episode. Uh, thanks, everybody out there for listening to us. Uh, hope you like the Wild West because we're going to get into a whole another episode. And actually, I think this next one we're going to do a little bit more, a little bit before the Wild West and a little bit more into in-depth and some stuff. Right? Absolutely, yeah. I think we can get a little bit more into some outlaws and some things like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Be sure and leave us a comment in the comment section. We always love hearing from y'all, we want to hear what you have to say about episodes that we should do further down the road. And be sure and hit that subscribe button so you get updated on all those episodes that will be absolutely wonderful. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Kenny. I'm Keith. And remember, never ask someone how stupid they are because they're sure to turn around and show you. <music>